This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. California, the world's hotspot right now in the pandemic. The surge still going strong might get worse. A variant of COVID also found here. Scientists are wondering if that is more contagious. The variant has apparently been circulating for months now, so we'll get into whether the vaccines work on the variant and if we can even slow it down. The U.S. gets a new president in two days. New policies for the pandemic. We'll look into what Joe Biden plans to do. Not all businesses have been struggling during the pandemic. We'll hear from one that has managed to expand in these tough economic times. But we start with a new variant. Dr. Charles Chu is a professor of laboratory medicine, infectious diseases, UC San Francisco. So, doctor, what do we know about this? We know that this is a virus that has mutated and will continue to mutate over time. Um, what we what we do know about this new variant is that we do know that it has been seen in multiple counties in California. Um, it actually first appeared in California in May, uh, but has been at really, really, really low levels until recently, until November, December. Uh, over the past several weeks, um, it has increased in the in the terms of the number of cases, the proportion of cases of infections due to this variant from about 4% to about one quarter of all cases um, at, in multiple counties of California. So we do know that this variant is becoming more common. Um, we, what we do not know, though, is um, whether or not this variant is more infectious or whether or not the variant will, will have any ef- effect on the um, efficacy of the vaccine or the, how, how effective the vaccine is. Uh, these are questions that need to be approached with any variant, including this one. And uh, so the data we have is very preliminary, but um, uh, th- this really merits further investigation. Do most uh, viruses that start out being lethal, uh, potentially lethal, as they have more and more mutations, do they tend to mutate toward being more benign? Yeah, in in general, for uh, for for RNA viruses like this one, uh, when viruses mutate, um, uh, very rarely do they mutate. Uh, n- to become either more severe or more benign. Uh, more often, uh, the, the mutations, um, they can mutate, however, to become more transmissible. And so, and uh, with this particular, um, with, with this particular variant, there is a worry that it may be a more transmissible variant. Um, it has been associated with um, several uh, outbreaks, for instance, in Santa Clara County in Northern California. Uh, and, uh, but we, and because, because we're seeing it more often, um, it's, it's certainly a possibility that's more transmissible. Um, but in general, um, we have not, uh, there's really been no variant of the SARS coronavirus 2 of this coronavirus that has been shown to either be more severe or more benign. Um, in, in general, um, it, the, these, these variants all cause the same disease. Um, which we need to uh, prevent. I, I want to also be really clear to uh, listeners because I think there's a, a lot of uh, misunderstanding about when when we talk about the virus becoming perhaps more transmissible, it's more contagious. I think a lot of people think, oh, that means it's going to be able to somehow kind of get through my mask, or it means instead of staying six feet apart, we've got to stand 100,000 feet It's going to sprout legs and crawl towards right. you. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, the measures that we're taking, if we take them now— would still be effective, would they not? 
Absolutely. The measures that we do, the public health measures that are recommended to prevent infection for, from either you becoming infected or, or infecting your loved ones, the same measures that we take, which include mask wearing, social distancing, uh, avoiding large gatherings, especially indoors, and most importantly, perhaps uh, getting the vaccine if you're, if you're offered one. Uh, these are the same measures that, that the same measures that we use to prevent infection in general would also be effective against this variant, um, even if the variant happens to be more contagious or more transmissible. In fact, the the presence of this variant uh, really reinforces that we uh, really enforces that we need to adopt these measures uh, really stringently, to, and everyone must do their part to help prevent um, this pandemic from spreading. When it comes to the vaccines, and when Pfizer and Moderna get asked questions about you know the different variants, including the one from the UK, um, the response has always been, "Well, we target the, the spike protein, and yes, there's some changes, but the changes aren't to a degree where we think the vaccines will be less effective." But viruses do change, as we've well established over the last few minutes. So, is it kind of like a race against time to get the vaccines to the people when you do have variants that are around that? do work with the vaccine before you do have to change it because eventually that spike is going to change enough. Well, I mean, luck of the draw, right? Or unluck of the draw for us. Absolutely. That's definitely true. It really is a race against time. Uh, because the reason why we continue to see these variants emerging is simply because we don't have the pandemic under control. Um, the, the variants are, are allowed to emerge uh, because we have ongoing chi- chains of infection, chains of transmission. Uh, we have more and more cases. Uh, the best way to prevent variants like this from emerging, or especially those that may impact vaccines, um, the best way to prevent these variants from emerging in the first place is to get the pandemic under control. And that really means that uh, we need to limit the number of cases um, and we have to kind of, uh, we, we really have to do everything necessary, which would include uh, vaccination as a way to hopefully achieve herd immunity. Dr. Charles Chu, director of the UC San Francisco Abbott's Viral Diagnostics and Discovery Center. President-elect Biden gets into office in just two days. When he does, he's going to immediately get to work to fight COVID-19. So what will he do that is different? Quite a bit, apparently. Economics professor Adam Pellelo from LaSalle University explained to KYW's Matt Leon what will happen first and then how Mr. Biden plans to tackle health and health care outside of COVID. So accelerating the distribution and administration of vaccinations, I think that's going to be one of the major areas of focus for the administration. And President-elect Biden uh, has already announced that he aims to achieve 100 million vaccinations first 100 days of his uh, administration. So, you know, if the distribution of vaccines goes as planned this spring, uh, we should have a pretty strong economic recovery this summer and fall. And, um, you know, to facilitate that, I think we'll we'll see further increases in spending on uh, vaccinations and therapeutics and also on testing and contact uh, tracing programs. Uh, President-elect Biden announced that he wants to allocate uh, $400 billion more for vaccines and testing and also supporting school reopenings. Uh, So I think this will be the the major area of focus for the first part of 2021. How much of a challenge is what he's proposing, um, given what we've been dealing with with COVID-19 has been uneven at best and... uh, uneven. Let's let's just kind of put it at that. Uh, Is this really bold or is this what he's putting more in line, what you would kind of expect from the U.S. federal government? Uh, Exactly the latter. I think this is what we should have expected from the federal government. You know, right now we're averaging more than 200,000 cases per day, uh, more than 4,000 deaths per day. 
And the U.S. has a COVID-related death rate that is much higher uh, than in other developed uh, economies, uh, than in Canada or Germany, and certainly much higher than in Japan, uh, Australia, or China. So I think you know this initiative to have 100 million vaccinations in 100 days and to get schools ready to do contact tracing, uh, rapid testing, uh, and changes in, in air filtration, for instance, I think these are some initiatives that we should have seen taking place uh, a bit earlier, frankly. So past the pandemic, I would guess the next thing you would, we would want to talk about in grand, in, in kind of big picture would be the state of the Affordable Care Act. Obviously, Joe Biden, vice president of the administration that put this in place. Um, what do you see on that front? Is it going to be more of building on the foundation and fixing some of the problems that have become kind of very apparent over the last four years? Yeah, I think so. I think the administration is going to focus on making it easier to get comprehensive health coverage, uh, especially for those who are unemployed or, or work part time. And so the focus will be building on the Affordable Care Act uh, and perhaps reversing some of the executive or regulatory or administrative actions uh, undertaken by the previous administration. So right now we have 8% of the population or more than 26 million people who have no form of health insurance coverage whatsoever. So I think you know a major priority this year will also be expanding health coverage for those who are currently uninsured or underinsured. And perhaps the, you know, the easiest and most politically feasible way to do that would be to expand the tax credits for the purchase of health insurance through the, the individual marketplaces that were established by the ACA. That would increase the affordability of the plans that are offered in the marketplaces, and it would also encourage people to take up uh, coverage as well. And so we might see an expansion of premium assistance uh, or even payments to insurers who are offering plans in those marketplaces as a way to simulate the further development of those marketplaces. Another thing we might see from Congress and the administration uh, is a focus on encouraging further Medicaid expansion. Uh, so either increasing federal spending for state Medicaid programs, increasing the, the allocations to the states, or engaging in some regulatory changes that uh, make it easier to enroll in Medicaid coverage. Is the ACA here to stay? And what I mean by that is for years, for a lot of Republicans, their reason to be was to repeal and some say replace. There was you could argue the validity of the plans that were put forth. But after the last four years, and especially two years where Republicans had all the power and they still weren't able to do it, are we at a point now where the Affordable Care Act is part of American policy? Uh, how far it goes, you know, how uh, robust it gets, that could, be, that, that, that could be up for debate depending upon who's in power. But has this become part of American society for good, you think? I think so. So the Supreme Court this year will consider the case of California versus Texas, which is uh, regarding the legality of the ACA now that the individual mandate uh, has been eliminated, which was part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. And that may necessitate a legislative response by Congress, depending on how the court decides. But I think, you know, for the most part, most of the provisions of the ACA will remain in place. And Congress and the administration, I, I, I think in a bipartisan way, will seek to, to build on the ACA 
to expand coverage and then also start to address you know, high and rising healthcare costs in the U.S. So past the pandemic, past the ACA, are there other fronts the Biden administration has expressed interest, signaled they are going to tackle? And if so, what would they be? President like Biden, whenever he was campaigning, was advocating for uh, Medicare to be able to negotiate prescription drug prices. And he was also advocating for a public option where those who are uninsured or underinsured or don't have employer-sponsored health insurance coverage would be able to buy health insurance coverage from Medicare or Medicaid. So we might see some movements toward a, a public option or allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices this year. But I think those are going to be uh, more and more challenging initiatives, and, and there are going to be some, some big trade-offs to face there as well. We heard a lot of talk specifically in the Democratic primary on the concept of Medicare for all. Um, that is not something you, I, I think we expect, but is that, is that something that's going to remain in the <clears throat> conversation specifically on democratic circles that might kind of move that Overton window to the left where what is considered kind of middle ground would be a little more, uh, democratic than, than we expect. I think so. So, so according to some recent public opinion polls from the Kaiser Family Foundation, most survey respondents did support a national Medicare for all health plan, but there was even greater support for having a public option or allowing individuals to, to buy into Medicare or Medicaid. So I think that might be one area where both Congress and the administration might be focusing is seeking ways to allow individuals to buy into Medicare or Medicaid if they would like. And of course, there's a lot of uncertainty about what those plans would look like or whether they would be offered through the ACA marketplaces um, or, or whether you would have some sort of like Medicare Advantage program where you enroll or engage private health insurers as well. So there's still some uncertainty about what that public option would look like, but I think that's something that Congress and the administration will be focusing on this year as well. Coming up after this short break, one business is baking up success during rough times. While many businesses are struggling to survive during this pandemic, Brown Sugar Bakery in Chicago is moving against that trend and is actually expanding operations. What's behind the sweet success? WBBM's Cisco Cotto talks to Brown Sugar Bakery owner Stephanie Hart about how they've been able to do so well. You know what? It's challenging times for everyone, but um, there are opportunities out here. And this was a unique opportunity for me to get into another industry and save jobs um, here in Illinois. So I'm excited to do it. And it's a challenge, but what else am I going to do? That's <laughs> right. Yeah, you just got to keep moving forward. That's what entrepreneurs do. Uh, so um, what? tell us, what does Brown Sugar Bakery make and how have you been thriving? Well, we make comfort food, so honestly, um, it hasn't been so terrible for us. We're learning new ways to reach our customers, employing a lot of technology, things that we probably would have adapted over the next three to five years. We've taken hold of and tried to implement now reaching out to our customers, uh, contactless payment, web uh, ordering, those types of things, and it's working out pretty well for us, our cakes and Desserts are doing decently in this pandemic. I'm proud of our, the work that we're doing. And for uh, moving our factory soon into the Cupid Candies factory and beginning to make candy, it's a lot of fun. 
Um, we've got some employees here that have been doing this for the last 30 years, and we're excited to move forward in the Cupid Candy tradition. So what has it been like to to shift? You know, what sort of changes have had to be made in your processes, in your business because of the pandemic? Well, shifting is never easy, but I will tell you it was absolutely necessary. The first thing is we were always a business where folks came in, we greeted you, we talked to you. So learning how to do business online was a big step for us. We had an online presence, but we weren't actually making sales online. I think that's the biggest thing, and it was really, really important for us because we were able to survive because we were not giving 30% of every sale that we had to a third-party delivery service. So getting online ourselves, creating a online store for us to greet and meet our customers online directly was, I think, one of the main things that helped us survive the pandemic to this point. And so moving forward, talk to other entrepreneurs here, because that's who we're speaking to in this segment. Uh, Talk to them, uh, maybe a lesson learned in the pandemic that will help you going forward and might be able to help them. A lesson learned for me is definitely value your customers, definitely collect data on your customers, and definitely be able to contact your customers electronically via email, via text and um, through an online store. It is so imperative to be able to market in and deal with your customers without being in person in these times, and I think forevermore. Thanks so much. Really good insight. Stephanie Hart, the owner and founder of Brown Sugar Bakery here in Chicago. Nothing is apparently safe from COVID-19. It's now been found in, dare I say it, ice cream. Three samples, chocolate, strawberry, and taro, tested positive for traces of the coronavirus after they were submitted for food inspection in northeastern China. Not clear how the virus ended up in the ice cream. One expert says the chances are this is all the result of an issue with the production plant, and it was potentially because of hygiene at the factory. As long as the mint chocolate chip is safe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because nobody wants, like, mint chocolate chip and coronavirus. (laughs) The mint chocolate chip is enough. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Is COVID-19 fat?